0: Welcome to the Love Yourself Naked podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Glubish, and I've been working with women for over two years to help them ditch the diet mentality, find food freedom, and gain a body confidence that they never knew was possible. There is so much information out there about how to eat, how to exercise, and how to live a healthy lifestyle. My goal on the show is to help answer all your questions and provide you the tools you need to live in peace with food and love your body. So if you are ready to discover what it's like to live a life without obsession, you are in the right place. Now let's get to the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of the podcast. I am so excited to finally be starting this. It has been a work in progress for longer than I would like to admit, but it's very exciting to finally be launching this. So before I dive in, I really just want to take the opportunity with this first episode to set my intentions for the show and really just give all of you an idea of what to expect. My goal with everything that I share here is to empower, uplift, equip, and inspire you really to step into the best version of yourself and truly live a life that you are so, so, so fulfilled in. I am a huge proponent of speaking your truth, being vulnerable, and showing up as the most authentic version of yourself. But honestly, we live in a world that makes it incredibly difficult to do that. So my goal is to always show up in that way for you guys to set that example and make this a safe space for you to feel like you can do the same. I absolutely do not have all of the answers to everything and I'm never ever going to provide you with guidance that's out of my scope, but you can definitely count on a mix of solo episodes and guest episodes. So if there's ever anything that you're curious about that I don't have the answers to, I'm always going to do my best to find someone that can fill that gap. I think guest episodes I mean, I think just having a mix of both is really beneficial. It's nice to have some shorter solo episodes. It's also nice to have guests on. My plan is to have some clients come on and just share their experiences and the transformations that they've been through. And then also just people that are in different spaces in the health and wellness industry, in the leadership industry, definitely in the realm of women's empowerment. That's something that I'm so big on. So we'll have lots of guests on the show. As time progresses. And lastly, my commitment in this space is honestly, you guys, to just be a friggin' human. Gosh, it really just baffles me in the industry that I work how many women express to me the shame that they have around not being good enough, not being pretty enough, not being perfect enough, and I understand where that comes from, but I need you all to know that none of those things are realistic or true. So in the stories I share, you better believe that there will be messes and struggles and setbacks because all of those ugly, unwanted pieces of life can be part of the perfection that you are striving for. So who the heck is Chelsea Glubish? I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta in Canada. I did all my schooling there through to the end of university. I actually went to university originally to become a brain surgeon, but I ended up transferring into nutrition, which I will dive into a little bit later and then now I live with my boyfriend and our dog in British Columbia and it is seriously a dream you guys I feel so grateful to be able to be building our life here if you have not visited British Columbia or if you're not from Canada and you come to visit I definitely would recommend coming here I run an online private practice called bloom body collective it focuses on helping women heal their relationship with food and their bodies and find food freedom it's something that I am super super passionate about and I'm actually launching a new course in January I'm so excited about it it's going to to be a 12-week food and body freedom course, working on healing your relationship with food, finding peace with your body, and really learning to unconditionally love it. So stay tuned for more details about that in the future. And then for fun, I am actually a triathlete. So I did my first Ironman this year. I'm currently training for a marathon in February, hoping to qualify for Boston. And then I've got a couple more triathlons next year as well. So it's going to be a pretty jam-packed year. Richard and I have basically planned all of our travels and our trips around races. So we're, again, just pretty grateful to be able to live that kind of a lifestyle. And that is honestly pretty much the breakdown of what my life revolves around work, training family. That's the excitement for you. So Let's just transition now into how this podcast and my company came to be. I, I'm just gonna give a trigger warning at this point. I do talk about my eating disorder and disordered eating experiences. So I'll just timestamp those in the show notes. And if that's something that isn't a safe or comfortable conversation for you, or it's something that might be triggering, please just skip over that part of the episode. So, you guys obviously already know where I'm from. I lived in the same house my entire upbringing, just myself and my parents. I'm an only child. I grew up very, very driven, very inherently people-pleasing and perfectionistic as well. Actually, you know what? I shouldn't say inherently. You're not born a people-pleaser. You're not born a perfectionist, but you are born, we are all born with a need to be loved and accepted. And those are some of the behaviors that are learned from a very young age will allow us to receive that love. So... For example, like I can remember remember watching home movies from when I was really young. So my mom, bless her, recorded basically every second of my childhood. So I've got tons of childhood memories to watch and reflect on. But I can remember watching videos from when I was really young, probably around 3 years old. And I used to love to sing and dance. But if I would get the words wrong or if I messed up a dance move, I would quite literally have a temper tantrum. I would cry. I would just like sulk on my bed, in my bedroom. Everything I did had to be perfect. I remember also I quit music lessons because I couldn't hit a specific note. And I can remember crying in the elevator on the way home because I was just so defeated that I couldn't hit. I don't remember what note it was. C maybe it's not relevant, (laughs) but I couldn't get the note. And so I quit. I also quit swimming lessons because I couldn't back float. I did end up going back to swimming lessons later, but I remember doing the same level three times because I couldn't get my back float and I was so upset and so devastated. And so I quit. I remember getting upset when I got bad marks in school because I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed for what my parents' friends might think, what our family might think if they knew that I didn't get at least a 90%, because that is something that I was so praised for. I was so praised for my intelligence. I was so praised for my physical performances in all of the activities that I did. And so I did do a lot of activities. I did swimming, like I mentioned, dance, gymnastics, and cheerleading were also a really big part of pretty much my entire childhood from the time that I was three until the time that I was 24. I was involved in all of those. And so like I mentioned, I originally wanted to pursue medicine. Being that I was very academically disciplined, this just seemed like the correct route for me to go. But I do feel like a lot of that pursuit and a lot of those beliefs about what was required for me to be a worthy human is what transpired into my body image struggles, my body image struggles. And actually in planning out this episode, I had to really think about the timeline of everything. So, you know, when my disordered eating started, how it started, what that journey really looked like. And it was long and gruesome, you guys, I'm not going to downplay that at all. And I truly believe that it started around the time that I hit puberty, which was 10 years old. So I was very young. My body changed very quickly and obviously looked a lot different than everyone else's. I remember being in grade five and they used to, I had a nickname, big boob, Chelsea was my nickname because nobody else had boobs at that time. Nobody else had a chest. Nobody else had hips. Nobody else had tampons in their backpack. And so you can imagine when you're in grade five and a boy in your class finds this package wrapped stick looking thing, They're like, oh, what's this? And so that was just like humiliating for me. I remember still being in swimming lessons at the time and I couldn't participate because I had my period. And I, you know, for me at that time, it was just too embarrassing to get in the pool of, you know, that idea of like just in case, what if something happens and I leak or whatever? So, yeah, it was a really challenging time for me. I think something else that made this time of my life and all the changes that I was experiencing even more difficult is that my mom and a lot of other female figures in my life had always been very rooted in diet culture. And this is not to place blame on them at all. I think it's just a byproduct of, you know, being brought up in that society and a lot of our beliefs around our body and what our body is worth and where our value comes from and our relationship with food is generational. It is passed down. It is the example that we see from those female figures that are raising us that we then take on as our own beliefs. There was always talk about, you know, what could or couldn't be eaten, good foods, bad foods, needing to lose weight, fitting a different pant size, obsessing about the scale. I remember my mom getting on the scale and just being like so devastated sometimes. And it was a frequent occurrence. It wasn't like she weighed herself, you know, once in a blue moon, it was probably pretty much every day. Sorry, there was a scale in the bathroom. So it happened all the time. So I very much had it ingrained in me that my worth was in my weight and in my body, in my image, what I looked like, which quickly changed. (laughs) it quickly changed as I hit puberty and started to develop, started to become a woman. My mom also at this time was struggling with her own mental health issues. And she really wasn't able to support me through this. Although, you know, thinking back on it, I likely wouldn't have even felt comfortable confiding in her or anyone that I looked up to at the time about my struggles just for fear of being judged or, you know, maybe even encouraged to go on a diet myself, especially as a 10 year old. Gosh, I just can't for any of you moms that are out there that have Daughters that are around that age, I'm sure it's unfathomable for you to even consider your child feeling this way. And I think that now, too, now that I'm older, I'm 27 now, you know, I <laughs> thank goodness I don't have a 10 year old. I am definitely not ready for that. But I just think if I had a daughter that was around that age, I just can't imagine knowing that she was experiencing. These struggles. So, my dad also really fueled the fire in the way he regarded women. It was not with kindness or respect, it was quite degrading and derogatory. And then also just the input that I was taking in. So I was obsessed with Hilary Duff. If any of you are in that like 1990s era, I'm sure that you were also probably obsessed with Hilary Duff and Miley Cyrus and all of the you know Disney and Family Channel stars. But yeah, Hilary Duff was my absolute favorite. And I can remember seeing a headline on one of my like adolescent magazines. I think it was probably 17, I think is what it was called. There was a bunch of different ones at the time. And it said, Duff getting puffy. So referring to Hillary Duff gaining weight and mentioned she was dieting. And just seeing that, I think, added another layer of fear to the scale changing for myself. So all of that said, the example I had set was very much that in order to be worthy, in order to be loved and accepted, you had to look a certain way. And so I think from there is really when the disordered behaviors began. I remember when I was 12, so I was in grade 6, Actually, I might've even been 11. I might've been younger than that. But around that time, it was grade six for sure. I remember I started reading food labels and it started with like the snacks in my lunches. I remember throwing out Nutrigrain bars. My mom used to always pack me Nutrigrain bars. And I remember reading the food labels and thinking, oh, this has too many calories. This is too high in carbs. And so I would throw them out. I would often skip my lunches. I wouldn't eat lunch at school. I would say I wasn't feeling good. That was definitely the time that it started. When I was 14, my doctor told me that my BMI was too high. I remember going to this appointment and getting weighed, which as a brief aside, the BMI scale is bullshit. And if you don't feel comfortable being weighed by your doctor, also as children, I would just like, if you are a parent and you have children, I would just really encourage you and invite you to have conversations with them about why they get weighed and what that number means and just really dissociating that number from their worth because it was traumatizing for me to go to my doctor and have me sit beside my mom and her say to my mom with me in the room, very present, that my BMI was too high, that I was overweight. So... Not surprisingly, that same year was when my disordered eating became a full-blown eating disorder. So the counting calories, the throwing food out, over-exercising was something else that was really present. I remember in grade seven, I started getting up at 5 a.m. to exercise in my parents' basement before school, and that didn't change anything. Nothing happened. So I developed bulimia, and that was the eating disorder that I struggled with for quite a while, off and on. It escalated quite quickly. I lost a lot of weight very quickly, and it really was only about three or four months before people started to notice. My pants were falling off. I was sick. I was isolating myself because when you're struggling with your relationship with food and you have food fears, you're not really inclined to go out with your friends and you know go out for dinner and go to events where you're out of control with food, where you don't know what you're eating, where you don't know how many calories are in something. It's Hard for me to go back and fully relive that experience, honestly. But I do remember as I was approaching the time that I started my recovery journey, I really didn't know if I was going to make it, like survive, live. I remember I couldn't focus in school anymore. I had lost so much hair. My best friend at the time, Paige, used to comment on how I looked like a cancer patient. I actually don't think she said that when I was in the moment, but afterwards, once I started to recover, we kind of talked about that. And yeah, I remember we talked about just how sick I looked. I lost my period. I was irritable all the time. Just not a treat to be around, really. I was so scared to go to bed because I didn't know if I would wake up. I remember laying down to go to sleep and my heart would just be racing. Like It felt like it really felt like I was going to have a heart attack. And I did at that time as well, start doing research around the consequences of having an eating disorder and what could happen and the impact on your health. And I was really concerned at this point that I wasn't going to make it, that my heart just wouldn't be able to keep going. So I really, like I said, I started to isolate myself. I was just terrified to ever be in a situation where there was food, knowing that I would either need to lie about having already eaten or Make sure that there was a bathroom nearby. And I also was so uncomfortable around people because the topic of conversation tended to always be my weight and how much I had lost and if I was okay. And obviously, when you're struggling with something like that, and especially at that time, it just, we live in a time now where this topic is, I would say, not totally normalized, but a lot more normalized. And there are a lot more resources to support people that are struggling with this. But back, you know, 15 years ago, that didn't exist. It was very shameful. I remember actually there was a Lizzie McGuire episode where Miranda, that's Lizzie McGuire's best friend, was struggling with an eating disorder. And I was just like, oh, that's so awful. (laughs) Like how could anyone do that to themselves? So that was what I thought people were going to think about me. So, you know, obviously it was something that I tried to avoid anytime there was a conversation about, you know, my body or what I was eating or what I wasn't eating. It was just so uncomfortable. So yeah, I really just started to isolate myself. And the craziest thing, and I talk to my clients about this all the time, is that it was never enough. The weight that I lost was never enough. Even though I knew I was sick and I didn't feel good and my weight was alarmingly low, I just couldn't stop. I was still so satisfied seeing that number inch down and I was so terrified to see it go up. I would argue that that was probably my biggest fear at the time. Bigger than my heart stopping. As horrific as that sounds, I just couldn't come to terms with seeing that scale go up. It was, yeah, it was devastating for me to think about that. I think something that unfortunately really reassured me at the time was that I would always reference the BMI scale. And I think just because that was really the turning point for me was being told that my BMI was too high. I always went back to the BMI scale to validate that I was healthy, ultimately, that I was healthy, that I was worthy, that I was acceptable because I fit into the acceptable range. And based on the BMI scale, I was never underweight. So I'll talk about this in another episode about how bullshit BMI is, but please just don't treat it as law. It's, to keep it simple, it's just such an outdated system. It's not helpful. (laughs) The fact that I was afraid that I was going to die, but the BMI scale said that I was still healthy should be an example enough. So anyways, how all of this came to a head and my recovery journey started is eventually I did get caught. I came out of the bathroom one day and my dad was waiting there and confronted me and I just broke down. I think at that point I was just so numb and done and didn't want to live that way anymore. And it really did take hitting that rock bottom for me to commit to making a change. And I was still so young at the time when that started, I would have been 14. I was in grade nine at that time. So that was when my recovery journey started. I did seek professional help. So I started seeing a therapist. I was going to an outpatient eating disorder clinic. Unfortunately, all of that support was incredibly unhelpful. And this is not to say anything about the people or the system. It could have very well just been my experience, but I just felt very unsupported, unguided. I remember the psychiatrist, the eating disorder clinic asked me, why I was doing what I was doing. And I was just like, well, I don't know. You know, I'd love to give you an answer. Do you think that I want to be living this way? No. And so that was really frustrating. And the dietician that worked in the clinic gave me the Canada food guide and told me to follow that. And that felt incredibly overwhelming because I just didn't even know how to eat anymore. So yeah, it was a really frustrating experience. And a lot of that experience, I think, is the reason why I've now pursued the profession I have, which I'll get into a little bit more in a bit. But that was definitely not the end of my journey. The disordered behaviors continued in cycles, I would say, off and on for another, nine years after that, not to the same extent. I was never that ill or that sick, but I was definitely still stuck in the same trap of food fears, the fear of gaining weight, and really just being obsessed with upholding the image. I would say when it finally changed, like when something actually had to give, was when I started endurance sports. So I started running when I was, I want to say 17, and I got quite adapted quite quickly. So I went from running a 5k race, five kilometer race, to a marathon, a full marathon within a year and a half. But shortly after that, I was finding that I was getting injured all the time. I was sick all the time. And Nobody else knew it. Everyone else just thought that I was overtraining, which probably was a component of it. But I knew that it was because I wasn't taking care of myself. So I committed at that point to taking a year off of running just to really work on healing my body and my relationship with food because I knew that I loved it so much and I didn't want to give it up. And I didn't ever want to get injured so badly that I wouldn't ever be able to run again. So I took that time off and I gave myself the permission to rest and recover. And I did gain weight through that process, but I needed to something that I always say is if getting adequate nourishment, if giving your body the nutritional support that it needs results in weight gain, then you were meant to gain weight. So I just want to put that out there as well. This process of my recovery journey was quite self-led. I didn't go back to the outpatient clinic. I didn't go back to therapy yet at this point. A lot of it was just talking to other people who had been through it. Researching, watching YouTube channels actually was something that was super helpful. So a couple YouTube channels, if you are somebody that is really struggling with this or can resonate with any of what I'm talking about, Natasha Ocean and Sarah's Day. They both discuss their eating disorders on their channels and their experience with it. And so those were super expensive for me. And then actually Nick Bear as well. He has a huge YouTube channel now and is someone that's always been super inspiring to me. And I actually have the same running coach as him, which is super cool. So it's cool to have that connection. But yeah, he's always been super inspiring. And I think because of just seeing his journey and his vulnerability and sharing his story about his eating disorder, that's not something that is very common in men, or rather, it's not something that's commonly talked about in men as much as it is in women. So that was really helpful and supportive for me as well. And then just over the last couple of years, I've started going back to therapy. And that's really been helpful in doing some of the deeper work because it's one thing to learn how to eat again and to repair your relationship with food and to learn how to release control. But it's another thing to actually figure out, you know, why that started and do that deeper work so that you can work on healing the triggers because you guys, I'm not going to lie. Like I'm still on the journey. I still have days where I don't love what I see in the mirror. I have bad body image days. I do have experiences that trigger me. What changes is that you better learn how to navigate those. You learn how to respond to those. Instead of responding by binge eating, you respond by going for a walk or doing something that is self-loving instead of self-sabotaging. So that's kind of been my journey. And that is really a big part of my why. So all of that said, why Love Yourself Naked? Why this podcast? Where did that come from? I think that for everyone, there is always some degree of personal experience and definitely an influence of values that determines the path that we pursue in life. For me, it was a passion to flip the script. Like I mentioned, I started university wanting to be a brain surgeon, so I studied biological sciences and psychology for three years in my undergrad, but I realized that even though the impact of that profession was for me, the lifestyle was not. So that was when I transferred into nutrition, and for me, this transfer just seemed like a no-brainer. At this point in time, I was still really struggling with my relationship with food. I was still in the disordered eating cycle. So I think a lot of this decision was also rooted in the fact that I was still trying to heal myself. I knew as well that the shitty experience I had with the dietitians during my recovery, I didn't ever want anyone else to have. So I knew that I could step into that role and give people a different experience and hopefully make a change. Growing up and through that experience, I never felt seen or heard. I really just felt like another number. There was no seeking to understand my experience, no compassion. It really was just, this is what you need to eat, which as a 15-year-old is super not helpful. So as I progressed through the nutrition program at the University of Alberta and began to shadow dietitians, I quickly realized it wasn't necessarily the professionals themselves, but largely just the way that the system is set up and structured. Everything's very textbook. You're in and out. You're given a prescription for wellness based on a textbook. And the dietetics programs are very weight management focused, which is super frustrating. I mean, things may be shifting now because I've been out of school for, oh gosh, four years, five years, (laughs) longer than I'd like to admit. But back then the information delivery was largely in consideration of weight. Also, there really are just no personal connections, which All in all, to me, just didn't feel like enough. I didn't think I would be fulfilled in that role, just knowing that I wouldn't be able to live through my values entirely. So I took a bit of a hiatus after school before I decided to commit to a job in the field or just any next level job in particular. And through that time off, I really just realized that it was working with women more one-on-one and intimately in a setting that was my own that would allow me to actually educate. that that was my passion. My passion is to educate, equip, inspire, and uplift, and actually help women realize their full potential without food and body obsessions. But it's really hard to do that when you're working in a public practice, from my experience anyways. Again, things might be different now. My fingers are crossed, hoping that that is the case. So from that, birthed Bloom Body. So Bloom Body is my company. It's a private practice that specializes in coaching women through all of the diet culture bullshit, learning what health and wellness without obsession looks like, reframing our beliefs around food and our bodies, and really just providing that safe space for women to finally be seen and heard and validated outside of their weight. Because in my personal experience, and based on the thousands of conversations I've had with women, we don't have any of that. We don't feel like we can ask for what we need or put ourselves first. We feel this deep-seated need to tend to everyone else, work a full-time job, take care of the house, take care of the kids, the spouse, you know, look perfect, be in the perfect body, be in shape. Everything needs to be perfect. And also though, don't drop a bead of sweat or ask for help through that process. And it's just so unrealistic. And in all of that, there's so much shame around not being able to do it, around not being able to live up to those unrealistic expectations. So we don't talk about our struggles. We don't talk about our relationship with food or our relationship with our body until someone gives us the opportunity to. And I think that that's where I've seen so much pain in our society from all of the women who feel that way. So my vision with this podcast is to give you permission to start prioritizing yourself and help you realize how you can do that. Something else that I think is really lacking in our society is connection, vulnerability, courage. And those pieces are so important to squash that shame cycle. Those feelings of, I'm not enough. I should be doing better. Why can't I figure this out? What's wrong with me? And so I really want this to be a space that changes that narrative. I want to empower women to claim their authority, to know and believe that Your worth is not dependent on your weight or your pant size or how you look in a crop top. And I really just want to help shine a light on a lot of the beliefs that underpin our self-sabotaging and our self-loathing behaviors and how we can change them to feel more connected with our bodies to find food and body freedom, just freedom in our lives in general to not be thinking about food at every second of the day. Is it too early to eat this? Have I had too many calories today? Do I need to do more cardio tomorrow? Is this healthy? Is this not healthy? To really give you the space and the permission to release those obsessions, to cultivate more confidence in your body and ultimately to learn how to love yourself naked. So that is it, you guys. That is the first episode. I really wanted to keep it under an hour and I think I did it. I hope that I gave you guys a bit of perspective as to why this mission and this vision is so, so, so important to me. If you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. And if you have any questions or if you have any topics going forward that you would like me to discuss or cover. Obviously, I would love to hear from you. And then of course, as the podcast progresses, I would just love to hear your feedback in general. Like I said, connection is something that is really important to me. And I just think it's amazing that we have the ability to utilize platforms like this to cultivate more of that. So please reach out, say hi, and I will catch you guys on the next episode thank you so much for tuning in. If you guys got value from the show, I would love for you to rate and share it. And if you have any questions about the conversation today, you can always find me on Instagram or Facebook at Chelsea Glubish. Catch you on the next one.